0: Welcome to the Sounds of the Heart with Sandy Goldstone. When we heed the call and say yes to live from the truth of our hearts, we accept the invitation to deeply relax, trust, and let go of fear, control, struggle, suffering, and separation. Now, here is your host, Sandy Goldstone.
1: Hello, lovelies. Welcome to this week's episode of Sounds of the Heart. As your host, I am delighted to have your beautiful presence and heart's vibration join with mine. As we listen, share and explore in this hour together, I invite us all to join together as one conscious global heart. As we take a deep breath in, And relax out with a sound. Ah. To gently ground our being in calm stillness. Meeting ourselves in love, as love, what we always are now. Ah. It is so wonderful to feel our hearts become part of the one unified field of love through the breath. Thank you for joining me again today. Wherever you are right now on the planet, whatever time it is for you, know that you are greatly welcomed and your presence is celebrated now, it gives me great delight to introduce our guest today to our global Sounds of the Heart family. Her name is Suzanne Worthley, and we have entitled our show today, Making Peace with Life's Impermanence. Now, Suzanne is a quantum energy healing practitioner that provides several kinds of services personal healings, space healings, spirit work, crossing over work clearing work, and vigil death and dying work. She has been a full-time practitioner since 2008. She has been a presenter, instructor, and mentor since 2010, including energy-based presentations through her own services, community education, and college course instructor. She is certified in various healing modalities and trained in intuitive, and psychic practices since 2005. She has been certified in hospice and death vigil work since 2009. She is the author of the tiny book on dying and the We Power, a theory of the soul process and energy, as well as published articles in newspapers, magazines and blogs. She has been on various radio programs and continues to be a guest presenter and instructor for numerous events and venues. She is a producer of various special events and offers an annual spiritual tour to Peru, where she works with the, Samps, with the shamans that have dubbed her Healer of the Sky. Suzanne can be contacted via her website, www.sworthly. Welcome, Suzanne, to Sounds of the Heart. It's so wonderful to have you join us today.
2: Thanks, Sandy. I appreciate your offering.
1: You're so welcome. And I'm so delighted to have this conversation with you. And I know that our listeners are going to get a great deal of information, insight and wisdom and inspiration. So I'm curious as a child you were introduced to the concept of death and dying at a very early age. Why was that?
2: That was simply because my father was a mortician for his um career and he raised six children as a full-time mortician. So we thought that death and dying was very normal in our upbringing. I mean, our family car was a hearse. <laughs> and you ah. would find, <laughs> seriously, you would find that hearse driving down the street and six children piling out the back end to the surprise look of many. Um, we had our playroom, our playtime in the funeral home because it was a self-owned um, company. And so Uh for us, I took piano lessons every Saturday. And while my sister was doing her lessons, I would be running around the funeral home. So, you know, basically that was my, not that it was irreverent, but it was basically where we hung out. So the casket room, the chapel, the viewing places, that was all my normal places to hang on my Saturdays when I was a child. So the concept of seeing bodies and seeing vigils and seeing services and seeing grief was all extremely normal for us, not to mention dinner conversation of, you know, so-and-so died. So at a very, very young age, I think it was an incredible gift to be able to have that structure as our quote-unquote normal.
1: Mm, mm. Kind of a different version on the Adams family. Oh, totally. In fact, we've been <laughs>
2: We've been dubbed that many a time, trust me. Yeah.
1: <laughs> That's the kind of um, imagery that came to mind and just that kind of, um, that energetic feel that would be um, <laughs> available within that space. And I remember um, when I was very young seeing my first um, dead body and it was a um, a young person who had been drowned at sea and their body had been washed up on the beach um, where I lived. and. I was very young. I would have been about six or seven. And um, I came across the young uh, man's body first and wow. um, not being really, just kind of being curiously fascinated because there was something within me just that just intuitively knew that, yes, the physical form was there, but what had animated the being was no longer there, that that had right. somehow left the body and it was, um, and so I wasn't seeing what actually brought life to the being. Exactly. I was just kind of seeing the, the outer clothing of it. And I just knew, and I was only about, I was only six or seven because I was only in Paikokareki until I was eight. So, um, yeah, and it was just like, I was just, I just had this this deep, peace and realization because I'd also been brought up in a very religious environment and the teaching very early on that was death was asleep and that it was not to be feared, that it had no sting and the grave had no victory. So it was kind of like, oh okay, mm-hmm. this is it. Yeah,
2: it, it almost like when I saw my actual dead bodies at the beginning, too, it was very much the same and similar of it's a shell. It's like just something that's just sort of sitting there. And I would watch my father, who was so incredibly compassionate in his work, dealing with the grieving, you know, loved ones, et cetera. And I also had this very removed kind of a, I don't know, energy of myself knowing, well, this is supposed to happen. And Part of me, it was kind of tough because when I got into my, oh, gosh, it must have been junior high, high school, is when I started to really realize that my life was extremely different with this thought process. Um, That's when the jokes started to come. Um, That's when it was like your dad does what kind of a concept, you know. Mm -hmm. And. Um, But then, gratefully, I also was attending a Catholic high school, and my father actually would come and be a guest speaker in the death and dying class every year. Oh, wow. Yeah, and it was so cool to see my dad being up in front of the classroom, you know, strutting his stuff. And I was so proud and excited to be able to have people see that he wasn't, you know, the creeper guy that you saw on the TV shows, that he was an actual compassionate, wonderful human being that was assisting people. And I think that was my first entree into I know this stuff, I can do something about it, and I carried that, you know, all the way into my late years. So yeah, I was always very surprised that people were so freaked out by the concept of death. I guess that kind of really took me aback when I was in that, you know, junior high school age, because I, silly enough, assumed everybody thought that death was normal.
1: (laughs) So it was a big surprise. Yes. Yes, and I I, rem- I just recall now having an uncle who was a mortician, um, and having conversations when he would um, come and visit um, with us, and he would talk about you know how people would make these interesting requests of like make sure you dress him warmly because he he feels the cold and all, right? <laughs> all this kind of stuff. Yeah. It's just kind of like still those kind of um, those loving. Uh, uh, gifts and, but still, kind of having that attachment as if something yeah. still um, very real and tangible within the connection, which it is. It's that that doesn't end,
2: right? And those were the funny stories that we would share at dinner time. You know, whatever your dad did for a living, or anybody's dad that's a listener did for a living, was their quote unquote normal. And our normal dinner conversation was, guess what happened today? You know, so and not that anyone was being made fun of. It was just an awe factor of the of the way that people's belief systems, you know, go throughout life and death. So it was always an interesting evening. <laughs> Needless yeah. to say. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So what did these early experiences teach you about life and your physical place in the world?
2: Well, I think what it did is it gave me a different perspective on death, but more so it already gives me a different perspective on life. I think that I I always looked at things differently. I always realized live this to the fullest extent. You get one shot at this meat body experience and that's it in terms of, <laughs> you know, in terms of this go around. And so you are creating whatever it is that you want to be happening. Now, that being said, I fully understand that when this meat body experience was gone, that there was more to come. So I just, it kind of gave me a really different zest for living and and drew back on the fear of dying. So now that being said, I mean, I'm still a human and I suppose if I was challenged with my own physical mortality tomorrow, you know, that might be a truer test, but I really do believe I innately have a different feeling and experience in my body, in my DNA, in my soul, knowing something different. And it doesn't make me cooler or better. It just makes me different. And I think everyone can have that capacity to get to that space and learn to re- release that fear.
1: Mm. Mm. Just your analogy, just your terminology, make body experience, just makes it feel funny to me. It's just like, how can we take this, This, you know, we're so serious about life. And, and right. it's like when you use terminology like that, it's like, oh, my gosh, how can we take it so seriously? How can we just not lighten up and just enjoy each moment as it's presenting to us and unfolding to us and just loving life and the fullness and how it's expressing itself in and into us in the moment. So thank you for sharing that.
2: <laughs> yeah, I use that a lot in class and people's face the first time say, what did she just say? And then it registers and they're like, oh my gosh, that is so exactly what we are. We're a big sack of meat. It always makes me think of Rocky movies when he's punching the big meat cow because we are, we're a very <laughs> dense and heavy experience. And the goal for me is to honor that because I signed up for it but at the mm-hmm. same time hold a consciousness of a light body energy surrounding that. And I think that that's super important.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. So what becomes available to us when we accept and make peace with lives and permanence and that death is a natural process of life? Well, I think the, the really big thing is, is it takes so
2: much fear away. Um, I, uh, like you mentioned, I'm a, energy practitioner, I work every day, all day on clients, you know, one after another that hold enormous amounts of fear. And most of the time, that fear is from the past, or Mm. it is in the future. And we oftentimes don't stay present in the actual meat body experience. And I think when you have this understanding that, it's just another go-round in this suit, you can alleviate some of that fear of future and you can concentrate more on fear of presence. And you can actually, I think, look at what does that mean? What does this mean that I'm co-creating this meat experience that I have a chakra system, an auric field, energy bodies. I have subtle energy bodies that are absolutely a map of my consciousness and I can start to concentrate on living in the body as a map of that consciousness. And how am I doing that? How is that balanced in harmony for health and happiness, spirit, mind, and body? So I think it just puts a whole different perspective on the entire gamut of not just death, but life itself.
1: Mm. Mm. And what what happens? You know, you're talking about the energy system and the chakra system, like it seems like a lot of the stuff that's been active in the collective at the moment is stuff around the root chakra and the the you know, the, the particularly the last two chakras, the root and the and the um the sacral. So how does that present in our lives for us to work with?
2: Well, the actual um process of igniting that chakra system, in my opinion starts in utero and we do it very methodically we start in utero when the fetus becomes in that third month and that is not to say when life is or isn't that's not the conversation here it is when the fetus actually starts to become and it ignites with the crown chakra and goes down to the root one month after the next so crown chakra ignites in the third month third eye in the fourth, et cetera, et cetera, all the way down to the root chakra igniting in the ninth month. That's why it's important to go full term because that root chakra then ignites and connects us to Mother Earth energy. Ah. Then when we are walking around being a human experience, we are activated, they're activated hopefully and opened hopefully enough where you are fueled in alignment. Now, that being said, we are always out of alignment because the human body has been so completely distorted in the chakra system for eons, the problem with the root chakra is originally that root chakra was designed to connect us to planetary consciousness, to allow our human physical body to feel safe because it was connected to a planetary body. So we embodied mm-hmm. another body for safety reasons. but. We broke that consciousness years ago and sadly replaced it in the human form with belief systems instead. And we are like little supercomputers uploading those beliefs from day one. We're teeny tiny babies and we're collecting data and igniting dit, 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 in that consciousness paradigm or matrix in our mind of what is safe or not safe. And sadly, it isn't our information. It's grandma and grandpa, mom and dad, you know, siblings, neighbors, mm. teachers, coaches, and we are never feeling connected and safe because we've missed the mark on what that root chakra is supposed to be. So that, sadly, is our foundational chakra. And if, like in a house, our foundation is off, the rest of those chakras on top of those are always going to be jiggy-jaggy. So we are really messy there. Sadly, the sacral chakra is just as messed up because this is our feeling center. And the feelings mm. of humans have been distorted, if not completely removed, because we've been programmed to think feel versus, yes. and now it's like, hey, Sandy, how do you feel about that? And you'd say, okay, or fine, and that's not a feel, <laughs> you know, okay is not a feel. So those two are very distorted in the human body, and it's just terribly sad because we are not understanding that we're in charge of those fuel activation points, that it's our job to clear those belief systems and upload new new ones. And so, therefore, we're running on poor programming most of our life, and then eventually, um, the the way that the body eventually does die is it diseases in those chakras, and the fuel starts to not come in as strong, and the body will react accordingly. And at the end of life, the actual deactivation of the chakra system goes in reverse. We first and foremost shut down and then dissipate that root chakra, next is sacral, next is solar plexus, plexus, et cetera, all the way up to crown. And then when we are at that point, that is when the human body is technically what we would call dead. So it's, an, it's a methodical process, which absolutely fascinates me because we're in charge of it and we have the ability to change it. But if we don't have that information, and most often we don't, we just go through life running those programs.
1: Mm. And it it feels like now though that we are getting access to different um, information that we are being shown how to reconnect and to see ourselves grounded to the consciousness of Mother Earth, and so we can do the work. It's right. like there's a shift that's happening planetarily, and um, that we are getting all the support. This. Light support and um, support from the heavens, and so we can do that recreating and make different choices for ourselves.
2: Oh, most definitely. And I think you know, with the harmonic convergence in 2008 was a huge, gigantic shift, as was 2012. So, for those that are studying and doing due diligence and actually doing their homework and doing the work to connect, it's just like anything else, you can't get in good shape if you don't exercise. It's exercising a different brain. And it's important to be able to know that the information is there. In my opinion, the second dimension is still pretty messy in terms of, you know, that's the connection. It's still the, um, you know, the connection between planetary and human race itself. So that's our plants Mm -hmm. and animals. It's our, it's, it's the fairy realm. It's the, you know, all of the ethereal realms. It's the the stuff that Disney is made of, and we don't yes. necessarily believe it unless there's a Disney logo on it. And that's why we love Disney, by the way, because our hearts know that there is a truth to that. And if people can get their ego out of the way and find the true fairy, um, find the true, true gnome, find the true tree diva, etc., you can indeed reignite that sacral chakra.
1: Mm. Mm. So it's about seeing ourselves as one with it instead of seeing ourselves as just this separate observer being in a the theater, being entertained. It's like we are that and exactly. that's, that spirit life is within us and we are one with that.
2: And I even correct my um, clients and students oftentimes with their verbiage because they will do things like, well, I really want to go blah, blah, blah. If you want to to go connect or if you want to do whatever the blah 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 is that means you don't believe you already have it and when one doesn't Mm -hmm. believe they already have it they don't understand the concept of i am it so co-creation in my opinion is one of the most difficult things for a lot of dogmatically programmed people to understand i am of that god source i am not the complete god source but i am certainly of it and that is uh sense of responsibility in terms of energy that is tough for a lot of people to get their heads and hearts around.
1: Mm, mm. And, and there's also that understanding, too, that it needs to be for the greater good, that it's, we're not living in an infantile um, environment. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Some of our, our demands and requests and everything are very kind of um, two-year-old-ish. It's like, give me this. I want this safety and security, or I want to be seen as, I don't know. It's, it's another way in which we hold up our badge of honour that I'm doing it right or um, I'm being rewarded. There's still that kind of... um Ew,
2: hugely.
1: <laughs> ...very... It, very strongly ingrained in our psyche is, look at me, I've got this because this is my reward.
2: Exactly. And that's then you're getting up into the solar plexus and then already jumping to the throat chakra consciousness and understanding ego versus what duality is versus what the consciousness of we is. And so it's a really, it's hard because this is deep stuff. And we are very, like I said, comfortable in our programming of me, 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 me. And that causes a lot of trouble. And not only our head, it keeps us on that, you know, hamster wheel, kind of mind monkey thing. So we don't necessarily connect with the actual, again, meat body. So my goal in my teaching and in my work is always go back to the body. The body does not lie. My truth Mm -hmm. resonates and vibrates within my container. And there's no way you are in my container. So you don't necessarily have the ability to change any of that truth unless I allow your energy and to do so. And then it's a mind thing. So it's important to understand that containment of your consciousness and how that's important is to be selfish. And that's a tough word for all of us, because again, we're programmed that everybody else comes first, but in terms of energy in your aura and in your egg and in your field, it's important, not unlike on an airplane when you put your mask on first, to take care of your own energy bubble first and foremost so that love moves through automatically. But anything that is not of that love vibration stays out. And that's a hard Mm. concept for people.
1: Mm. Mm, It's like getting up in the morning and, and, you know, that's your spiritual clothing that you put on. That's the connection that you make first thing in the morning. And as you're going to sleep at night, it's like, consciously making that decision of how you even want to wake up in the morning, what it right. is that you want to um, uh, bring back your energy that's that you've given your energy inappropriately to or um subconsciously to. It's like going through and doing that that review and just going, where am I aligning myself in this moment? And
2: it's not it's not that it's not learnable. It's just that it doesn't be quote unquote normal. You know, we're not taught this in third grade. If we were taught in third grade, if Mrs. Brown, our teacher in grade school, sat up in front of the room and said, let's everybody put our bubble on and see how we feel right now, we would be a completely different human race right now, you know. So, mm. if we were taught that from the get-go, that my bubble is important, then I can have a red flag or my essence will know that there's something that is not of a, a highest and good vibration for me right now. That's not to say we don't interact with that person or that experience, but we interact with it with a higher vibration of shield around me so that I'm careful. I'm careful mm. it's moving through. Mm. Does, that, does that make sense?
1: Yeah, yeah. It makes yeah. perfect sense. And it's, it's about... It's also acquiring that level of discernment because it it turns us inward. Right. We've been so programmed and conditioned to to listen externally and go outward and be um, hypnotized by false gods, and right. so we don't um, trust our own inner knowing and our own guidance and. Um, knowing what we need to do to take care of our bubble because our body is always guiding us how to lovingly take care of that and to respond from a place of wise discernment around that. And I think
2: discernment has been become one of my most favorite words in the last years of doing this work. And I think, um, In a minute or two, maybe we can talk more about that discernment in terms of being able to know where that bubble starts and stops also, because then you also can feel spirit outside of you. You can feel your Mm loved ones that have gone beyond. You can feel your guides that have gone beyond because you know exactly where Sandy or Suzanne starts and stops. If I don't know my vibration inside and out innately, I can't discern. And therefore, I miss the opportunity to connect further with guides. Mm-hmm. or loved ones, or people that have passed on, etc. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's, it's part of the connecting to the death of our loved ones, and that is the whole big scope back to, you know, full circle. We don't ever really die. We become omnipresence. But how am I supposed to feel my loved one that has died if I don't know where I start and stop?
1: Yes. Yes. So, so getting to know what our energy field is and what our actual, um, uh, you know, it's like we all have our own energetic blueprint. We have its own, it has its own energetic field and being able to really tune into that and know that well. And so we can, you know, it's like when you walk into a room and you can feel the vibration, like if you are sensitive to that and you're tuned into that, um, And you pay attention to that. It requires focus and to be present, otherwise you miss it. So it would be great to continue this conversation um, once we come back from our break. So, okay, lovelies, it's time to take a short break. This is Sandy Goldstone, and my guest is the delightful Susanna Worthley. And you are listening to Sounds of the Heart with Sandy Goldstone on Voice America, Seventh Wave Channel. Stay tuned, and we'll be back.
3: The Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Seek greater awareness. Sandy Goldstone wants to help you start your true self journey. Sandy works with all issues and ages for individuals, couples, and groups. She is a spiritual teacher and holistic counselor of the Heart's Way in Perth, Australia. It's time to gift yourself with knowing your own lightness of being, beauty, and truth. You can feel relaxed, loving, wise, joyful and peaceful, whatever your experiences have been or what challenges you are currently facing. Are you ready? Let's do it. Say yes and call or contact Sandy Goldstone in Australia on 011-61420 287 or reach out to her on Facebook at Sandy Grace Goldstone and start your true self journey. Right now, Sandy is offering a special gift. Mention the radio show, Sounds of the Heart and receive a 40% discount on each of your first two 90 minute Skype sessions. That's just $99 to start your True Self Journey with Sandy Goldstone. For more information or to receive this special offer, email sounds of the heart at hotmail.com. The 7th Wave Channel on the Voice America Network.
0: You are listening to the Sounds of the Heart. To find out more about our program, Visit Sandy's website at soundsoftheheart.com.au. Again, that's soundsoftheheart.com.au. Now, back to Sounds of the Heart with Sandy Goldstone.
1: And we are back, Lovelies, with Sounds of the Heart on the Seventh Wave Channel of Voice America. And I'm your host, Sandy Goldstone talking with my delightful guest, the Suzanne Worthley. Now, as we were going to the break, Suzanne, we were talking about the importance of discernment. So would you like to expand further on that for us?
2: Sure. So for anybody that's maybe even just catching up on the conversation or or getting online right now, we're talking about the, the actual aura bubble and or field of energy body that surrounds the actual human body. It's It's important to understand that, A, we even have a bubble or an egg, we could call it, so that we know that we are in charge of taking care of that. And what Sandy and I were discussing is when one starts to understand the vibration of their own meat body and how far that vibration is working within that auric field, then one can start to discern what is not of oneself. So... When it comes to this conversation of losing a loved one or death and dying or grieving or trying to get in connection with my spirit guides, et cetera, when you understand where you start and stop, if you have another entity or an energy that is now in omnipresence come into your general space, you indeed will be able to have the tool to discern that something else is among you. So it's understanding omnipresence. And it's containing your own energy to keep you safe in love and light. And so I think that everybody, if they did anything throughout the day for a spiritual exercise, is to understand that auric field or bubble and command of themselves that they are surrounded in love and light. And that anything that is of the light be, is able to penetrate that space. Anything that is not of their highest and best good at this time is not allowed in. it's pretty mm. simple. It's a simple technique, but it offers you this unbelievable assurance that you are never alone. I can't lose my mother or my son. I can't lose my dog. I can't lose anything that goes back to trans you know transmutes back to spirit because it's an omnipresence. I can find it if I allow myself to receive it. And that bubble tactic is a really good tool to be able to step into that presence.
1: mm. mm. So what would you say to someone who has lost a loved one through suicide? Well, within my
2: healing work, I have encountered very many different versions of suicide. And I think what's super important is it's not possible to make one, you know, um, overall statement about any cases of suicide because everything is so individualized Mm-hmm. There's many, many, many reasons that people commit suicides. I have worked with people who have lost their partners, their children, their loved ones to suicide. I have also worked with spirits that have not crossed over fully due to suicide. I have worked with spirits that have crossed with a suicide, et cetera. So I think the conversation would be individualized to whatever the concept is. But there are some basic generalizations, I think, in terms of We need to understand that free will and free choice is a gift we as a human embodiment of the god source are gifted and endowed with free will and free choice and when we choose to move forward in that suicide there are consequences in all kinds of planes of existence now that meaning when i want to just leave this world and get away from all my troubles and i'm just going to take my own life to get away from it all it doesn't technically work that way in terms of spirit. We still need to do the work, and I think that's what people don't quite understand when they're at groping at that moment of, you know, confusion and and desperation. We still, as a soul, do the work. So my take is to do that work on this side of the veil and experience the growth and drop any of the karmic return or debt ledger that you are accumulating by causing more via suicide. Now that being said, there are a lot of other reasons for suicide that I think spirits cross easier. For example, if there is a mental illness or a completely detachment and I don't really understand fully and I am confused and it's what we would maybe even quote as an accidental suicide. I think those entities are greeted and um, worked with a little bit differently on the other side of the veil. I think that they have more potentialities to learn their lessons quicker. Um, But, again, that's a very blanket statement, and I have no right to make a blanket statement because everyone's individual. Um, I think also what has been astounding for me as a healer is I have been able to channel and work with very many people that have committed suicide that haven't crossed to the light because of belief systems. And Mm -hmm. when we can work with those belief systems even telepathically, when they're in transition, we can still assist them in crossing to the light fully and then getting additional help. For example, I'm terrified of hell. Um, God's going to get me back. Um, My mom's on the other side and I'm scared of her and on and on it goes. So there's a lot of fear attached to entities that haven't fully crossed because of ingrained belief systems, oftentimes having to do with dogma.
1: Mm-hmm. And I, I think it's really important, too, is that a lot of times people just go, you know, they're grieving a lot, a, a loved one and they go, oh, I'll just die and I'll be with them. And it's like uh, it doesn't work like that. It does doesn't it?
2: work that way. No. <laughs> and, and it doesn't work that way because the actual vibration that your soul energy is going back across the veil with is indeed at a lower vibration and that mm-hmm. does mean a value system you're at a lower vibration than your loved ones that have already crossed in a different manner they are at a higher vibration now that being said it doesn't mean that you will never ever 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 see them but it does not mean that you will be what you know what a lot of us like to consider hanging out with my loved ones so it's it's important to honor the fact that your free will choice to commit suicide does have consequences and so i think also what's super important and i really do a lot of work with There's soul contracts and we contract with one another and we have soul pods within our families and our loved ones, good, bad and ugly, friends and enemies, et cetera, et cetera, are all parts of our contract for our soul to come down here and work through the reasons why we came. And oftentimes a suicide will mess up a lot of those contractual agreements and or adjust things. And or sometimes, indeed, it may be part of the actual contract. So there's a lot of elements that are going into the concept of suicide. So, again, it's difficult to make a blanket statement, but I personally don't believe in what we call a hell. I don't think that you automatically go to a place called hell because you commit suicide. I personally believe that you are indeed greeted and that you are guided and that you are nurtured and that you are taught. Um, just as much on the other side of the veil and almost with even bigger kid gloves because you have a lot of learning to do.
1: Mm. Mm. Yes, we're born we're born from love we're made from love we are love. so it's um, it, we make decisions um, and poor choices when we aren't seeing that cleanly and clearly and we're lost in that story of separation and we're in that struggle and we're in that pain and we're wanting a quick, Fix or quick relief, and it's um it's really important to to remember that that what we truly are is never lost. Right. And it's not about reward and punishment. Life does not work in that kind of way, that we've been so conditioned to to um perceive things and interpret our experiences through. But that, that.
2: punishing God program is very prevalent in a lot of people's heads, and a yes. lot of people will be caught in that fear cycle and. I've done a lot of work with moving forward the spirit that is caught because they're scared of that dogmatic belief system of there's a separation of that God source that, oh my gosh, I'm in trouble. And that's, to me, extremely sad because my belief system doesn't even go there. I I believe in that all loving God that you're talking about. I believe that there's a reason for everything and you're doing it and there's always something you can learn. And I think soul contracts for the people that are involved in suicides, there's a there's a there's tons and tons of opportunities for spiritual growth that we may not be aware of. That mm. partner, that mother, that father, that child, that sibling, whatever is left here may indeed have contracted with that person who did the committing of the suicide to learn something in their soul path. So it's not for us to judge in any way, shape, or form what that's about. So mm. we forget. We take ownership of other people's you know, um, choices, and we have no business owning that.
1: No, and I think we do that because we're kind of trying to make our choices more worthy or more superior or something, which which doesn't help anyone at all. No, Um, again, status quo, you
2: know, so. Yeah. Yeah, it's difficult.
1: Yeah, Yeah. so I know that you, sorry, go ahead.
2: I said, it's just a hard subject all the way around. So science is always going to be a hard subject. So,
1: yeah. Yeah, it challenges us in, in a very real and, but it's, it, it invites us to ask deeper questions and to not be, you know, just surfing on the surface, to right. dive deep and to really consider what it is that we, how we view life and how we feel our connection to it and what our place in life is. Is and how we, you know, see ourselves within that, and are we really loving entity, entities? And even if we stuff up and we make poor choices, um, it, you know, is the door closed on us? No, it's not. Right. It's it's never. It's never closed on us. There's always opportunities to find um, the truth of who and what we really are, and. To be liberated through grace,
2: and and own your own stuff, <laughs> you know, own yes. it, own what you're doing. So that's kind of what I always tell everybody: own your stuff. So. Yes,
1: yes, and it's it's easier to own our own stuff um, once we stop looking outside and and wanting to see what other people's stuff is. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> that becomes a distraction. So um, I'm aware that you've written. Um, The Tiny Book on Dying. So what inspired you to write this, Suzanne?
2: Well, The Tiny Book on Dying is currently, it was just an e-book kind of a situation that I was using to do some teaching with, and I am in the process of final edits to go to publishing, so I will keep you posted as to if and when, uh, not if, when it comes out in printed form, um, because I'm excited about it. It was originally done because of my hospice work. I would sit for hours with non-responsive um, patients and t- i'm extremely telepathic and have a lot of conversations in my head so from the perspective of the you know um, nurses or the whoever is running the nursing home they just thought i was praying but i'm actually saying hey tell me about your death experience and i was recording mm-hmm. and writing and i was asking basically interviewing the dying patients in terms of can you tell me what is actually happening what is going on etc And I documented for hours and hours and hours and years in terms of how this actually works and what I got to know. And I eventually started to write it down because I thought it was super important to be able to bring at that beginning time back to hospice and help train the other hospice workers and staff in terms of what was actually happening for the dying patient. I would oftentimes find the actual RN or the nurse's aide or whomever was working with the patient coming in. And basically moving mechanically through their day, now that's not to make fun of them because I'm sure that that gets tough, but I wanted to just shake them and go, you're missing the miracle here. You're missing the miracle of death. And I was realizing everybody was missing the miracle of death because they didn't have the ability to psychically hear, see, know into it what was actually happening. So I wrote it to train people. I wrote it to validate people. I wrote it so that people could go, "Oh my gosh, I swear I thought that was happening, but I thought I made it up kind of a validation. And it became a very powerful little tool in terms of training for hospice. And mm-hmm. um, after that, I ex- I now have decided to extend it, and I've filled it out in a very large way with case studies and healing te- strategies, et cetera, so that it can be brought to the public because, my goal is to make death less scary. Mm. Mm. So we can enjoy our life. <laughs> yeah. And it, you know, it is a gift to be able to be in presence of someone going yes. through the death experience. It is a honor, and most people don't see it that way. It is miraculous with incredible etheric. Things happening, energy moving through the room, webs of color changing around the body, the physical body transitioning beyond belief, but we miss it all because we're sad and we're scared, and we have been trained to think that it's the end, and if we can adjust that paradigm and offer the concept of be present with this, be sacred with this, honor this moment, learn from this moment, and connect, and ultimately the... Biggest message is this person who's going through this death process has the right to die. They chose the experiences, is what they signed up for. Whomever is in the room or not in the room is part of that experience choice, etc. etc. So, gifting the honor of the contract back to the dying person is really the basic premise of it.
1: Mm, mm. And I think one of the Difficult things for some people is that when they've been with their loved one and they've they've left the room and in that leaving they've then passed and they there's a lot of guilt and remorse around not being there, not being present. So, so would that kind of feed into that soul contract of how that person had made yeah. that decision to to depart, that they wanted to be on their own or they didn't want to be surrounded by their immediate family.
2: In my personal opinion, absolutely yes, and I've been told that several times by the dying patient. My choice was to be alone or my choice was to have so-and-so, and and again, this is not "I like her I-like-her-better-than-him kind of a thing. It's not that. It is simply because the contract for those two people had an element that is a support system and or not. Now, that being said, I've also had numerous amounts of psychic... Um, information, tidbits come through that says, hey, your dad said when you were out in the hallway, such and such happens. So we know for a fact that omnipresence is happening through the death experience already. So if my dad is in the hospital room dying and I'm down the hallway in the coffee room, He has the ability to be omnipresent already. So this is our ego that's in the way when Mm. we want to be in the room. It's all about me that wants to be in the room because then I'm in there and it's, you know, we twist and turn that. So the part of the book that talks extremely about contracts and owning, you know, the ability to let them choose is super important because it's not about you. It's about them. They get to have whomever or no one in that room and it's not about your ego and we need to release that an honor. So, yeah, we do a lot of flybys when we're in the death process. We oftentimes will know that for a fact. Um, I woke up and I just knew grandma flew through my room and sure enough, the morning comes and I get the phone call, grandma died. We know for a fact that omnipresence happens and so it's important for us to take that ego out of the scenario and not have to be in the room. So, yeah, yes. it's, a hard, it's a hard one though.
1: It is a difficult one but it is. It's It's... It's to honor the process of the person who's departing. It's not about us. Yep. And it's, it's how we how they want to be lovingly supported or they might not have a, any clue about that.
2: My favorite concept for death is honor the contract. Mm. Just honor mm. their soul contract. You don't get to and you have no right to. It's like telling somebody, I really don't want you to go on this beautiful, fabulous, wonderful vacation because I just want you to stay home with me. <laughs> I don't want you to experience all that fun stuff. I don't want you to have all the glory of, you know, learning how to sail or eating great food or seeing the beautiful mountains. I want you to stay right here with me, you know, because it's all about me. It's just, it's the same thing. Let them go on their experience. It's mm. not about me.
1: So, mm. yeah. Mm. Mm. Well, <laughs> and that's very challenging and confronting for us because we've, we've so um, got our sense of identity and our sense of um, who we are and how we feel about ourselves from others and particularly from those that we've um, attached our love to and yeah. want them to feed us. And it's kind of kind of a vampirish kind of um, uh, yeah. relationship That's, in some way.
2: It is. It's called energy transference. We suck it all up like a vampire. <laughs> But, you know, it's important to not just make this sound crass either in terms of people need to be able to grieve. They need to be able to have the experience of the death be real and in emotion. They need to, the loved ones that are still here, need to work that sacral chakra in every way, shape or form to move the emotion through the body and own it. And again, what happens is is a lot of people shut down and they don't want to grieve or they stuff it or they're guilt ridden or on and on it goes. And that sacral chakra takes a hit. We want to, as a human experience, understand the depth of the grief and go into the grief and work with the grief instead of ignoring it and and stuffing it or covering it up or softening it or, you know, etc. So it's go into the grief and work with it so it can move through back to source as well so that you can then, again, begin to live your life with some joy and some compassion for yourself. So it we don't want to just do that pendulum swing either of, I'm not going to grieve, I'm just going to let them die, it's their contract, or I'm going to be so utterly devastated and depressed I can't move forward. There's a balance in there.
1: Yes, it's about, you know, we grieve, but we grieve because an acknowledgement of the love and the joy and the beauty that's that 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 interaction and that connection is brought to us and so it's a kind of a, a a grieving of gratitude
2: right and that's why the indigenous were so incredibly wonderful you know again we humans at this point in 2017 the grief process and the whole funeral process i mean We've always joked in our family, nobody gets to wear black to mine and nobody gets to sing that one song and nobody gets to do this, that or the other thing because it needs to be a celebration of life. And I think the way indigenous people used to do it was celebratory, you know, burning and ritual and song and dance and, and just connection is incredible. And we don't do it that way. We're very, we're very, again, um, fear-based. And I think fear-based. that's sad
1: very insular, and, or otherwise, we'll have a wake, but we'll just make sure we stuff our bodies with food and alcohol and just <laughs> <laughs> close, no, put alcohol. close down.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. I think the party el- element is fun, because you're celebrating life, you're not celebrating death. So yeah, but, you know, it's, it's up to the individual. But again, I think that we should look to the old ritualistic indigenous on how they did things and they let that body go back to that omnipresent source in a different ritualistic way. So, but again, that's all personal choice.
1: hmm hmm So, um, we'll just quickly um, have you share with us how your work as a death doula has expanded you.
2: I think that you know, like I said at the beginning, I came in with kind of a different perspective on life and death. But I think in working and being blessed and fortunate enough to actually make an actual living as a healer, um, I think it has indeed expanded that vision. I have been able to learn more from the other side of the veil. I have been able to bring the two sides of the veil together so that when I am working with my body experience here and or my clients or my students, I can help hopefully assist them in understanding it's all the same thing. We're living as if we're dying because we're dying how we're living. And that mm. body, that chakra system, that the the way that the meat is holding distress and disease, my goal is, is to Clear all that stuff out now because your life is going to be so much more fun. It's going to be so much easier, so much more synchronistic, so much more blessed. If you are clearing those belief patterns and clearing all of that garbage, that is going to prohibit you from, well, first, is going to dis-ease the body and ultimately kill the body. And then, number two, it it prohibits that death process from going really quickly and smoothly. So I think my knowledge base in working on all sides of the veil has helped me to go, wow, live the way that your body is wanting to because it can be really easy. It can be really fun. Mm. It can be really Mm. joyful. It doesn't have to be so hard. So it's an expansion of the beliefs, I think.
1: Thank you. And thank you, lovelies, for your heart's loving presence and for sharing in this hour's intriguing and reassuring exploration with Suzanne about how we can make peace with life's impermanence. And how accepting the reality of death frees us to live with greater ease, peace, enthusiasm, trust, wisdom, and love. Knowing that we are forever one with the eternal, unchanging, formless energy of universal consciousness. Next week, our guest will be Mark Steinwood, a shamanic practitioner and teacher who will share how the use of shamanic practices can help us break free from addictions and other avoidant activities that stop us from knowing ourselves as all loving, wise, powerful, sovereign, divine beings. Till our hearts join together as one again next week, I send you much love and blessings from my heart to yours. May your week be overflowing with all that you are always, now, love, joy, and peace. I love you. Thank you.
0: Thank you for tuning in to this week's edition of Sounds of the Heart. Sandy Goldstone invites you to join her again next Tuesday at 5 p.m. U.S. Pacific Time on the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Connect to your own divine nature in the coming week and explore within.